Good afternoon and welcome to the Intellectual Soul Food Lunch Buffet. We got a lot on the menu this evening. Actually, the chief thing on the menu is civility coming at you in five, four, three, two. Welcome back to another episode, another round of the Intellectual Soul Food Lunch Buffet. I am the sous chef, Doc Rob, and I've got my students joining us today. And I've got a special guest host with us, Jocelyn Hurd. She's going to sit in the director's chair with me today. How are you doing, Joss? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for asking. Good, good. So we've got our usual suspects, but let's go ahead and give them a round to go ahead and introduce themselves. We'll start first with Dallas. How are you doing, Dallas? I'm good. Um, I'm a media studies, well, mass communication major with a concentration in media studies, and I'm hoping that this broadcast will go well for me this time. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got the big man of the gridiron, Captain Chuck. How you doing, Chuck? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing really good. Um, I'm a mass communications major uh, with a broadcast and media concentration, and I'm, I'm about the same as Dallas, man. Just so you know, this show run smoothly this time, especially for me and everyone else. Y'all made it sound like it hadn't run smooth before. All right, then we're going to kick it to Key Butler. She is our resident Bon Vivant. Hey, Key. What's up, y'all? Um, I'm a mass communications major, and the show went good last time, and it's going to go great this time. It better. I, I, would, I would like to make sure we have at least more than 26 people this time watching. And then we have our scholar in residence, our future PhD to be, Brittany Cowan. How are you doing, Britt? Hi, I'm doing well. Uh, hoping this podcast goes really well. Um, it went well in the past, and I'm just hoping we continue on that flow. You all make it sound like the podcast is jinxed. It is not jinxed. We just have some challenges every once in a while, but we're doing good, right? Right, say right. That's all you gotta do is say right. Right. Okay, so Joss, what are we talking about today? Um. So the first topic that we're gonna be covering is cancel culture and where it started. Um, I think Brittany has some information that she can share on that and kind of expand on the topic. Brittany, tell us about cancel culture. What is it? Well, um, cancel culture in summation is pretty much um, a popular practice of people withdrawing support um, from celebrities or um, people with authority. Um, and we really see that a lot today with uh, celebrities that we really hold um, high, on a high pedestal in um, society. Um, recently, there's been an uproar with Beyonce and her support of ending SARS. And a lot of people have been calling her out, saying she hasn't said anything, saying she hasn't been doing anything in regards to activism, to trying to raise awareness to the problem. And a lot of people were really quick to jump down her throat saying that she hasn't been showing support via social media, but there's been counter arguments saying, oh, well, she's been doing um, more so the background work um, in terms of financial support and things of that nature. Um, so just recently with that um, indication of cancel culture, there's been tons of other things such as um, Tory Lanez, um, 
uh, even a few years ago with Bill Cosby, the list goes on and it really shows like how society is quick to demonize people in terms of uh, one simple flaw or it can even be a major thing. All right, because right now we're dealing with the idea of cancel culture and actually someone in my generation, I'm sure part of yours as well, um, and that would be Ice Cube. Ice Cube and 50 Cent, they have recently come out and they have been talking about endorsing, well, at least 50 has said he's endorsing Donald Trump. Uh, we don't know about Ice Cube, but Cube pretty much has said that he had a plan. It was the plan of Black America or something to that effect. And he gave the pitch to the Democrats as well as the Republicans and the Trump camp jumped on it. What do you all think about that? We're talking think, about, go ahead. I think they're opportunists. Um, I feel like they feel like if they have a strong black um, figure representing them that they'll reel everybody else in. So I don't think they're being genuine for sure. It's all for show, it's all for show. Well, I mean, here's the thing. When we think about cancel culture, when we think about that. We talk about this whole notion of canceling someone out. Why do we feel the need to do that? Aren't we supposed to be the free marketplace of ideas where we literally can actually have a conversation, we agree to disagree, and we be civil? Chuck, what do you say? Uh, I, I believe that the, the cancel culture is due to, you know, just people of, of our race and our of our culture just not you know kind of going stepping outside of that and and what we would normally do as um being black or being african-american and you know just speak and not even just on our culture but just speaking uh kind of negative negatively and just outside of something that is uh normal or regular like for example um i don't know if you're too too familiar with uh b simone she is a, a very um, Instagram famous woman, and she was quote unquote canceled because she said, you know, she would rather have a man that was in a CEO position or a higher position than a man that works nine to five. But a man that works nine to five is getting quality, good money, just as now maybe not as much, but you know, good quality money, just as someone that is in a higher position. So um, just just stepping outside and kind of saying something that will make you say, well, hold on, you know. And I think with 50, if I were to go back and, you know, just piggybacking off what he said, I don't feel, I mean, it's opportunist like, but I feel from 50's standpoint, it's more of selfish because he kind of went about it as, you know, you see what Biden is doing, trying to raise taxes and he was quote unquote saying, y'all crazy. I don't care, you know, if he doesn't, if Trump doesn't like black people, this man, his, his opponent is trying to raise his taxes. So why would I vote for him? I'm going to vote for Trump because I don't want my taxes raised. Well, you're not looking out for everybody. That tells me you're looking out for yourself. So, um, yeah, just just kind of stepping outside of something that would be, you know, just, I don't know, it just would not be right. Yeah, and to add to that, I think as far as the free marketplace thing that you were talking about, I think when we look at the Internet, it creates a global community, meaning we can all connect regardless of where we are in the world. And I think when you add anonymity to that, it gives people a certain sense of boldness to maybe say and do things that they wouldn't say in real life. 
And when we look at values and how people are really strong in their values, and we see a celebrity who's always in the public eye and subject to judgment, when we see them sort of deviate or say things that people maybe don't agree with, they take that boldness that the anonymity gives them and they state their opinion or they cancel that celebrity. So I think um, the, the free marketplace is not really free because now we all feel like we can say whatever we want and cancel whoever we want. Josh, add something to that. Um, I would say that everyone definitely um, mentioned some really valid points. And I feel like the cancel culture in general is kind of um, a way of like withdrawing support from like public figures and making it seem as though um, our community is really kind of kicking them out of where they would feel like they belong. So I definitely think some valid points were made. Did you think, though, again, back to this whole piece on civility, given where we are now, the whole idea, and I appreciate what you said earlier, Dallas, this piece that we are a global village. Uh, you use some Marshall McLuhan. I'm impressed. So when we think about this notion of, you know, the global village and this anonymity, talk to me, though, about our culture, just where we are now. Were we this way, would you say, four or five years ago as a culture, as a people? Meaning we are quick to cancel and we are quick to just just critique, be harsh and be venomous. I would say that we were. I feel like cancel culture started maybe around four years ago. I'm not too sure exactly when it became a thing. But I think especially now when we're in a pandemic and people are so connected to their phones and the Internet and what's going on in the media, um, it's it will obviously um be an ex exponential amount of people saying things because we're more plugged in and tuned in than we usually are. Mm, very good. I want to thank you all for joining us on the Intellectual Soul Food Lunch Buffet. We've got about nine people. We're trying to get more people. So if you can, please come watch. Chuck, what'd you have to add? No, I was saying that I feel that, um, you know, just this idea of a cancer kind of already embedded within us. Um, just, you know, when you don't, when you don't see the same ideologies or viewpoints of someone, you don't necessarily support that person in a way in a, or in a sense. So I think that's something that was already there. We just kind of made it more of a of a socialized term at, in terms of canceling someone. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah. Cool. We'll take that. So Dallas, we're going to pivot to you because you're going to tell us a little about something with, if I'm not mistaken, Black Tinkerbell and the Black Little Mermaid. Talk to us about that. Yeah, so um, actress Yara Shahidi, obviously, who's a Black woman, she um, is best known for her roles in Blackish and Grownish. She was recently cast as Tinkerbell in the Peter Pan and Wendy production. And this will be the first time that a Black woman played Tinkerbell in a major Peter Pan production. Um, and this just made me think of, or this reminded me of last summer when Halle Bailey, who sings in the music duo, Chloe and Halle, and also stars alongside Shahidi on Gronish, she um, was casted as Ariel for the Disney classic, The Little Mermaid. 
And the internet obviously was divided as usually is. A lot of people were supporting and a lot of people were saying, this is hashtag not my aerial and that their childhood is ruined and all those kinds of things. So it just made me think about um, diversification in the media and people's reaction to diversification in terms of civility. So I think um, there's definitely a lack of representation for communities of color because white people are actually overrepresented in the media. They account for about 62% of the nation, but they're represent, how do I say this? They, they account for 62% of the nation, but account for 73% of people represented in entertainment media, which only leaves about 27% for literally every other race in the nation. So more or less other races are underrepresented. So we wanna see that diversification. And I definitely think in this climate today, companies and um, media conglomerates and things like that, they're definitely um, striving to show that they're standing in solidarity with black people and back us in that kind of way, you know, in ways that they can. So I think um, when we think about once again, diversification and adverse reactions to it, specifically from white people, because we are talking about black women being casted in traditionally white roles. It sort of makes me think of white fragility, which was a term coined by Dr. Robin DeAngelo. And she basically says that um, white people benefit, benefit from certain systems put in place in this country. And when they're confronted with the idea that there is inequality and there is injustice, they become uncomfortable and tend to have adverse reactions such as anger. And I think that's what we're seeing here with the castings of Yara as Tinkerbell and Hallie as Ariel. So basically, because I remember there was this brouhaha also. Um, there was a nasty brouhaha when it came to, I want to say, who was it? Someone was being cast. The, yes, when the Spider-Man movie with yes. uh, mm -hmm. right with not Tobey Maguire, but the other guy, what's his name? Um, Tom Holland. You're talking That's about it. Zendaya. She plays exactly him. right, and there was a big brouhaha about that. Yeah, the whole "not my MJ." So basically, like "not my Ariel," "not my MJ," that type of thing. Others, what do you have to say about this? What do you think? We are uh, you are mass comm students. And I think she's talking about a concept we call the politics of representation. I put that in the banner earlier. I mean, I feel like certain um, certain films should keep certain races like uh, Mulan. I feel like she should definitely be Asian. Um, but I feel like certain, you know, certain ones you definitely can switch it up. But I will be pissed if they try to make Mulan black. Like, girl, you know daggone well you're not doing any of that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I get what you're saying when there's like cultural and racial ties to the story mm -hmm. in the background. That exactly. So I put in the question for y'all. So with basically Ariel traditionally being white in the original movie and her race kind of, or since they're making a newer version of it, do you guys think that it'll channel different audiences or do you think it'll be the same? I feel it's gonna definitely. It'll definitely, it'll definitely channel different audiences because just mm -hmm. like you just said, you know, people she was receiving backlash from people saying that's not my area. You know, just to see it, people may may not tune in or may not be more accustomed to it just because of you know the change in the color of the character. Well, I put in the box. 
Could there be a black James Bond? Yes. But you're going to have some people that are going to just be on their feelings about it. Yeah. Why? People like things the way that they were. Like yeah. people don't like change. They're scared of change. But then they force everything else on us. It's weird. They well, like what they like, huh? Well, we're thinking about that. Let's think about some of these iconic characters. And then let's flip the script. <clears throat> because if you think about it, yes, you have the Batman, the Superman, and now Iron Man. Um, the, the superhero movies like that. Could you have a black Superman? Could you have a, a black Indiana Jones? These are parts of American iconography, are they not? Or are they? They are. So is there a challenge? What, why should or should we consider having, you know, as you say earlier, multiracial incarnations of icon characters? I think we should because we see, like you said, they're iconic. They're at the forefront of entertainment, at the forefront of media. And I think that we also need people of color in that forefront as well to represent actual factions of the nation, people who actually live in America, not just white people, even though they account for over half the population. I think it's important for us to have various representations. Jack, you sound like you're about to come out of your pants. I, I think it's a double standard with that as well, though. Okay. If I could use an example, um, I know personally that the uh, the original Green Lantern was uh, was portrayed as a black man, and then they adapted and changed um, and changed the Green Lantern to a white man, and it kind of just. So who was the original Green Lantern? No, I'm saying like in the cartoon. I don't know what like as far playing like in the, the original movie. Green Lantern was Hal Jordan, who was a test pilot. Yeah, a white man. So then what DC attempted to do is again, and, and I think, you know, it was a good, it was a good attempt at trying to be inclusive. Mm -hmm. I think the idea was, is that they wanted to be more inclusive. So you brought in um, John Stewart, the first black green lantern. Okay. And then I think you had other ways in which they were trying to, to change the comic book landscape, Peter Parker. Now you have Miles Morales. And so as you're beginning to see that, <clears throat> I think it's important. But that's just my perspective. Brittany, you've been kind of quiet on this. Um, I definitely agree with like in terms of them being like these characters and these figures, they're icons, they're memorable. Um, and it I kind of started thinking about the Wizard of Oz and how that ultimately became the Wiz. And the Wiz came out in the 1970s. And although it didn't do well in the box office, um, it was iconic because it represented black people. It had Diana Ross, it had um, Michael Jackson, it had all these different Broadway black figures in there. Um, but considering that it was produced and created during a time where um, Black people weren't really seen in the movies and seen in cinematic features and things of that nature. It didn't do well. And now that we have social media, we have more, we have blog, we have the internet, um, we have the power to inform people about these new things. We have the power to um, create opinions and don't and not stigmatize for our opinions in a way that would have that was um, probably felt during the 1970s when The Wiz came out. Um, so I'll, although The Wiz is like, it's, 
it transcends across generations, I would say, um, because it has different, like, it's. She's frozen, but we have a person named Latanya Blizzard who has said, no, she has said, and I'll put it out there for us. No need for a black James Bond. Would you want a white shaft? Let's see. What do you say? I mean, someone also said something about, will we want a white Black Panther? So, I don't know. Important comments. Important comments. Chuck, let's pivot to you, because I think you're going to talk to us about, if I'm not mistaken, J.K. Rowling and transgendered statements. Talk to us about that. Um. Yes, uh, J.K. Rowling, you know, she's the the widely known author of the um, Harry Potter book series. And earlier in June, um, she tweeted about people that are uh, transgenders. And she specifically were hearing some women and called, uh, used the word people instead of women. And she titled it, um, people who menstruate. And um, in response, she was saying that, uh, you know, she respects every trans woman, but she feels that uh, she, that, that and she feels she she like respects any trans person the right to live anywhere they feel comfortable. But she said at the same time, you know, she was born as a woman, and it kind of just it kind of it kind of it's, it's disrespectful to women. I mean, not even women, but people that that are transgenders. Um, you know, I feel that every everyone is their own person. They're entitled to do what they want with their own life if they want to, you know, cross over and become the other gender. Then that's <coughs> But um, yeah, just the way she went about it and the things she said, uh, I just I just don't think it was it was right and it was it wasn't it wasn't correct in the way she said it because she said, she said that it wasn't hate when she was speaking on something that is right and I just don't think that that's that was the case here. Right, but then we also got some people that clapped back mm -hmm. and they said seventy percent of transgendered people and non-binary youth reported being the subject of discrimination due to the general identity, their general identity. Yeah. So back to our question about cancel culture. Have we canceled this woman because of her statements? And let's be clear, we've canceled people for far worse. Well, actually, let me correct that. We've canceled people for things that were similar. Um, yeah. Paula Dean, classic example. Is this something, I mean, what happened to that? What was the end result? Have her book stopped selling? Are there no more Harry Potter? What's up? I said Roseanne too. She was canceled too. She made a she made a comment as well. So again, as we say this, what's the line between canceling and free speech? I don't know. I think it depends on what like what realm you're looking at, because on social media, we can have hashtags trending that somebody's canceled. But does that really mean they're canceled? And like you said, if somebody's book no longer gets published or they lose sponsorships or that type of thing, then that's like really being canceled, if you ask me. So I think that's more so um, stepping into the free speech realm, because now it's affecting you know, um, your lifestyle or your, how do I say this, your career because you made certain comments. But I don't think that if people just do a hashtag on the internet, that it would really do that much. Okay. And it's, I feel that also, um, yeah, free speech and like when, when it comes to free speech, I think, you know, it's, 
it's you know we had the right to say how we feel whatever we want but i think as far as when it comes to cancellation you have to go about those things that you're saying and, and just kind of think before what you say about what you're talking about so with her i think if she would have kind of responded about how she felt towards the community in a, in a more respectful different way just of how she felt then she may not have necessarily been canceled but just because she kind of tried to throw it in there as far as she was shaped to be a woman and that you're supposed to be, you know, necessarily the gender that you were born and, you know, kind of adhering to not, to not supporting or not, you know, not, not saying that trans, like doing, going through the transgender process is right. If she wanted to kind of win about it that way, I don't think her, like her being canceled would have necessarily been like a full thing. Well, there's some things in our society, our culture that we don't even want to negotiate. And I think we're going to now turn to Key, who's going to talk to us about a situation involving Megan Stallion. Key, you got so. The it's Megan the Stallion and Tory Lanez, and it sparked a lot of controversy because um, out the gate, you know, they chose sides um, before they even knew what happened. And um, you know, I'm not going to lie; I was kind of staring towards what was what Megan was saying. So I think we all kind of picked a side. But now that more information is coming out, is saying that um, a bodyguard is saying that basically Megan Thee Stallion is lying and Tori didn't shoot her. And so we're just waiting to see basically what the situation is going to uh, come to in the end because we don't know. Everyone's lying on everyone, allegedly. And so, go ahead. And to piggyback off of Key, um, Story as well just went live explaining his side, you know, and kind of trying to give points to, you know, basically what Megan said. He was breaking down what she said when she went live, like earlier, earlier. I want to ask before that she went live explaining explaining her side of the story. He was saying like, you know, why would you get back in the car with someone that shot you? First of all, why would you? Why would someone that was just arguing with you and you walked away from them to you after? You walked away and y'all arguing. And then he said, secondly, that why would you even get back in with her that just like, just trying to, you know, tell his side and explain. Right. You know, we just trying to, we're trying to see now, like he said, with, you know, the bodyguard saying that she, Megan was lying, to what really happened. So it was, and it was, go ahead. It was also interesting to see how she tried to include, um, you know, protecting black women into her, her movement if she is lying, like if it comes out that she is lying. So I feel like if she was lying, then she was being an opportunist to the support black women movement. I College. definitely yes. reading some comments like on um, like the shade room and on social media just in general. Um, I saw a lot of comments about um, why it's so hard to believe an African-American woman when she's telling you what happened, but let it be someone of another race. And they're just like, they get more support. They, more people are willing to believe them, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. a lot of people were saying that um, African-American men are the first to kind of not really gang up on, on Black women, but more of not really supporting them as they claim they do, if that makes sense. So so I guess the question then comes back to, again, and I think that's a very good point, this whole notion that the Black woman uh, 
clearly, in my opinion, represents one of the most disrespected women in the country, um, simply because people refuse to believe her. And I think that's because of the history. So I guess I go back to the question, though. With everything that happened, why do you think that we are so quick to judge, quick to get on a, quick to get, I guess, on a team, per se, pick a side, and then immediately push the cancel button? I mean, for me, initially, of course, I, I want to believe her because you want to support, you know, your sisters at the end of the day. And I mean, her story was believable, you know, so I think people pick sides based off of how they connect to the person um, or how they feel, if that makes sense. And that was me. I was like, you know, I'm going to support her. But then and I was like, I was like, OK, so Tori's out here and he's getting praised. They're not, you know. And then it just switched sides. So it's just, you don't know who's lying, who's telling the truth. Brittany, you're, Brittany, I'm sorry, Brittany, Dallas, you both have done research to one degree or another discussing feminist scholarship. From that particular lens, the theory of feminism, and we're having this conversation, how does this issue in pop culture news resonate with you, particularly through the lens of feminism? I don't know when you say feminism, the first thing I think of is back to the last show when we were sort of talking about masculinity and patriarchy and how men are dominant and women are sort of, sort of like second class. So I think that might be part of why we're not quick to believe women or we victim blame them when they go through certain things because we're not seen as equal or valued as much as men in American society. Brittany? Uh, I agree with that because in from the lens of like femininity and like, you know, feminism as a whole, um, the whole feminism movement is designed to empower women, but in actuality, it wasn't designed to empower black women. It was for from the lens of white women, um, white suffragists and things of that nature. Um, so in a way, I feel like there's becoming a new definition of what feminism is in terms of including black women, including the empowerment of black women. And in regards to like cancel culture, you know, like um, the Megan Stallion, Tory Lane situation, I feel like Megan the Stallion is becoming a proponent for the new definition of feminism in terms of including black women. Um, so that's what I believe. Very good. And on that note, we're gonna go ahead and take a brief pause for the cause. Um, when we get back, Jocelyn, what are we going to talk about? If we can unmute your mic. <laughs> Sorry. When we get back, we will be talking about Stevie Wonder and also followed by Biden and his rep. All right. So we'll see you in a few. Your voice, your vote. In our democracy, they matter. Make yours count. Get registered, learn the issues, and vote by or on November 3rd. Visit vote411.org. This message is furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. Welcome back. That was a quick pause, right? We're so glad to have you all joining us for another round of the Intellectual Soul Food Lunch Buffet. Today, we are discussing civility. And I can't think of a better time than talk about civility than right now during our current election process. We've got joining us uh, now, we have 
Taylor. Taylor, how are you? Welcome to the class. Welcome to the show. I'm good. How are you? We can't hear you, Taylor. You oh, you got a delay. Oh, my mic's on. You have a delay. Oh, you can't hear me, but it's going slow. You're coming in with a slight delay. So I'm going to go ahead and boot you back out and I'm going to boot you back in, okay? okay? Come on back out and let's see how it all works out. She's going to talk to us about something uh, pretty soon. I'm sure it's going to be about this issue with Yayi, this issue with Trump and how Trump and the, I would say the Trump team, as well as the Biden team and how they handled COVID in their respective camps. So Jack, I want to give it to you to talk to us a little bit about the Biden team. Tell us what you know about that. Okay, can anyone talk to us about the response of the Biden team and how we want to compare and contrast the responses, if you will, between, I would say, how the Trump team responded to when he contracted COVID to then when the Biden-Harris team responded when there was a threat of COVID in their campaign. Anybody? I think it just showed how... I mean, the difference in the fact how much they care, the Trump administration, they obviously, they, sh wait, I think I'm talking about the same thing. They showed up, you know, with no masks and stuff and Biden and his team, they canceled, right? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it just shows how serious uh, the Trump administration takes is taking coronavirus versus the Biden administration. Others. Oh, Others? Oh, yeah. Um, I think I'm not sure if he said it like straight up, but at one point people <laughs> were saying that Donald Trump downplayed the virus not to panic people. So I feel like if you would do that, knowing that this is a deadly virus and it's a growing global pandemic, I feel like it makes sense that he wouldn't take the proper precautions that he got the virus and is still not wearing his mask properly and that type of thing. Taylor, are you there with us? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. And now you actually are in sync with the screen. <laughs> Taylor, tell us about this piece with Biden, his team, how they responded to the COVID panic. Yes. So in the Biden campaign, they ended up um, spending some travel um, because two people near them were tested positive for COVID. Um, so it was Liz Allen, which is Harrison's communication director, and right. staff member, flight member. Um, and they both were on flight with um, Harris on October 8th. Um, although she hadn't had any direct contact with them because they were on flight, they felt the need to spend some travel. Um, so we clearly are in an election cycle. The former president, Barack Obama, said that Donald Trump doesn't even know how to take care of himself within the pandemic. The question is the responses here. Talk to me about, I guess, the types of things. And matter of fact, they're debating again tonight. And I think that is also another stepping stone to talk about civility. Talk to me about civility in our American political structure, our American politics. Do we need civility or should we continue to say this is the new normal? Um, 
I would say that it shouldn't be the new normal. I don't like that term in terms of saying, associating it with the pandemic and things of that nature, because it shouldn't be the new normal. We should be able to have a grasp on this global health crisis. And as Donald Trump, he continuously like indicates how um, well the United States is doing in terms of literally everything, education, warfare, um, you know, military, things of that nature. So him being the leader of the free world in a sense, he should be able to have a grasp on what we're doing and how we're going to move forward. And I feel like in terms of civility and, you know, making sure that people are ultimately taking accountability for their actions and for their responses to certain actions, I feel like the president should be able to take accountability for how he has responded to this global pandemic. Others. Yeah, to sort of expand off of that in terms of the pandemic in general and the idea of civility, um, my mom's a nurse, so I'm sort of like taken from what she said. She basically told me that, of course, this is like a droplet precaution virus, meaning that when you talk or breathe, the um, there's little particles or droplets in the air, and that's what um, causes other people to get the virus, which is why you have to wear a mask. And so basically when you wear a mask, it's not for your protection, it's for other people's protection. So I feel like there's a lack of civility there and there's protests for wearing a mask and everything like that because it's not necessarily for you, it's for other people. So I think we could use more basic respect for other people in that sense because we're protecting them by following precautions. But we have a culture now. We have a political culture that now has politicized the three W's. Wear a mask, wash your hands, wait six feet apart. It's now become a political thing. Guess Chuck. I would like to piggyback off of um, Mrs. And, you know, just saying that this should not be the new normal. Um, We should be able to operate and function and get a grasp on everything. I feel that it's... um, I feel like in a way this is, is kind of a, a a population control thing. And I feel as though, you know, the president and our government knows what what, what is needed to help things cure. You look at these other countries that have shut down, they they basically have no cases or, you know, one little to no cases. And you look over here at us and we're trying to, you know, op- operate and open up in stages. They have cases booming day by day. So, and then when you look at the president, how fast it took him to necessarily come back from COVID. It took him three days, and everybody else usually. Oh, well, you don't know if it took him three days. Remember, they said that he actually was symptomatic at the debate. Yeah. But, you know, and, and just looking at that, and that, I think that, you know, it's, it's kind of a government issue that's keeping it relevant in a way. Key, you are former military, and again, thank you for your service. Tell us about how civility is dealt with within the ranks of the military. Um, well, basically everything is a structured, uh, you know, you have to go through someone to get to something, if that makes sense. Like, there's just structure. <laughs> elaborate, elaborate. So... Would this carrying on take place in a, the armed services branch? People saying they're not going to do, they're going to go ahead and just have zero tolerance for opposite opinion. 
Yeah, I mean, there's consequences for everything. I feel like there's no consequence um, given to people who don't want to wear a mask. And Trump is uh, setting that standard that you don't have to wear a mask if you don't want to. And so that's where the issues come in, where people think that they can come into the stores and fight with the, the managers and things of that nature when that's just their policies. Like, just wear a mask. Like, that's it. Just wear a mask. Well, here's, so, well, well, here's something that's interesting. Thank you for that. I think it's also kind of telling, though, when we think about this whole notion of opinion, and I've raised this to other classes, I'll raise it to you. Would you have an objection? Even in our new forum here, if we were to bring someone who had, was a staunch conservative Trump supporter, how would we or how would you receive that person? I just don't. I can't receive something that I just don't understand or support or doesn't make sense to me. But so the key is, is that how do we get to have understanding if we close the doors of communication? I mean, I'm just trying to figure out what the understanding is. If you don't wear a mask, you, you risk everyone. You know what I'm saying? It's just. I'm just, I'm not, I've, I've kind of stripped away from that one. I'm just talking about the whole notion of being able to just say, if we wanted to have a conservative person, politically aligned conservative, how would that person be received in our, in our company? They had, they would have some ideas where we have a problem with that. I was gonna say I personally work with somebody like that. And I be with them every day, and everybody has their own. I mean, understand where you're coming from. You understand where I'm coming from. As long as you don't, have, I feel I don't have a problem with the way that you feel, even though I completely disagree. Dallas. Yeah. Um. I think for me, I know if me and someone else don't have the same views i'm looking for the facts when we communicate and we talk back and forth about our different or differing views what are the facts i'm not trying to you know argue about your opinion you know what i mean so i would just be looking for what facts can you bring to me for me to understand your point of view right yeah i'm kind of uh i'm kind of like dallas on that like if if me and two people have different views about it, I well, you know, explain to me, show me, you know, why you believe or why you view things in this certain way and kind of help me understand, you know, even if I don't necessarily agree with you, just show me how, like, why. So I can show you why I think and why I feel about things a certain way versus how you feel. So Brittany has been able to secure a visit to our class from, of all people, Candace Owens. How'd that work, Brittany? So in terms of the Candace Owens and um, Blexit um, situation that she has going on, um, she has been like under fire recently about, you know, uh, well, not even recently, she's always under fire, but now she's under fire for uh, being accused of paying members of her Blexit to um, attend Trump rallies and Trump functions and ultimately support her agenda as well as the agenda that she supports um, in regards to Trump. Um, so her being a black conservative and, you know, trying to get black people in the community to uh, like try to move away from being a Democrat and try to be Republican and conservative. But I feel like her ideals are really interesting, I would say, 
say the least, because she is trying to separate a community in a way. And granted, Black people come in all shades and all different backgrounds, but her ideologies are in a way demonizing Black people who are liberal, who are progressive, who do like oppose all of Trump's ideologies. Um, so I think that her being a, pla a Black progressive, not Black progressive, but Black conservative, it really, it it questions what, like how Black people um, view politics and how they are like trying to, you know, fit it, fit, their fit their traditions and political views into something that is not necessarily um, the norm. So give us some examples of her platform. Tell us some of the things that she believes. So, Brittany, so I have, and if you might be asking her a question, Dr. Rock. That's what we're here to do. So, um, just based off of what you said about uh, Mrs. Owen, so essentially in, in our community, she's canceled from how she views and tries to shift people's ideas. Would you say that? Like she canceled? I would say, I wouldn't even say she was had even a position to be canceled because she, the first thing she said off the gate was something that black people as a whole black people who identify with progressive views they immediately just said no we don't align with that and i feel like her movement is a subculture in the black community and that's why you don't see a lot of faces i can say because i don't see a lot of people on social media who say hey i'm a black conservative there's a there's a select few but um but there's it's the same ones you see. I don't know if you guys are familiar with two women who are repeatedly on the Fox uh, News Network who are from North Carolina. Um, their names are some sort of spices. I'm not sure. But um, they ultimately support Trump's rhetoric. But they're the people that are at the forefront. And ultimately, she tries to get people who are in that subculture who don't want to be in the public eye and she tries to in terms of like this whole thing with um the Blexit members being a part of like trump rallies and things of that nature um she's trying to get people in the forefront and it's not a lot of people but i feel like her being canceled i don't even think she had a position to be canceled because she was not even in a position to be agreed with anyway i appreciate that and so we're gonna go ahead and hold on chuck because i hear what you're about to go do but we got to go ahead and take another pause for the cause. Because when we come back, you and some others are going to talk about some other entertainment news. And you are going to kick us off with Stevie Wonder when we get back after this break. Prescription drug pricing points to corporate Freedom of the press is about your right to know. It's about your right to be informed. Today, there are real threats to press freedom. And your right to know about the world around us. We must protect our right to know, no matter what kind of news is important to you. Before it's too late, understand the threats. ProtectPressFreedom.org. We are wrapping it up here at the Intellectual Soul Food Lunch Buffet. I am Doc Rob, here with my esteemed class, also known as my sous chefs in training, if you will. We've been joined by Mr. Brandon Blizzard. Happy to see you with us today. What's going on? Everything, everything is going on, and even the rent is going on. We appreciate you asking. So, 
I try to be a comedian when I can, y'all. Come on, give me a break. So, anywho, um, Chuck, we said when we left break that you were going to talk to us about Stevie Wonder. And I think that's a wonderful way for us to pivot to talk about love that is in need of love today. Tell us about Mr. Stevie Wonder, the, the musical extraordinaire. Yes. Well, uh, Mr. Mr. Stevie Wonder, he's uh, released two new songs for the first time in four years. Uh, essentially, they'll be they'll be on his album that he's ending at, which is titled "Through the Eyes of Wonder." Um, and the first song, it uh, it basically dismantles the notion of all lives matter. The song name is called "Can't Put in the Hands of Fate," and that's what Wonder uh, alluded to in a in a um, press conference. You know, he was saying that change is right now. Can't put it in the hands of fate. Thus, name of the song that, and he basically, he basically stemmed the song to uh, be a direct, a direct response to systematic racism. Um, the second song, that's more so, that's more so constructed towards the pandemic. The song is called "Where's Our Love Song," and um, it's basically alluding to everything that's going on with the pandemic crisis in the world right now, because uh, the proceeds from that song, you know, one that he will, he will have, it, you know, it will, it will go to a charity that aids people in this, in this pandemic crisis. Mm -hmm. Very so. good. Have you, have you heard the song? Well, how are you going to talk about if you had heard the song, Chuck? Should I give him an F, everybody? No, 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 no. My boy B blazing him. Okay, well, actually, let's go ahead and take it to Mr. Brandon Blizzard. He's been so patient waiting. Brandon, talk to us about COVID, civility, and the NBA bubble. All right, so the um, season concluded a couple weeks ago with the Lakers winning the championship in the bubble and down in Orlando. And um, they finished with zero positive COVID-19 cases. That's great. So what does that say for us? I mean, do you think that's a good thing for us? Um, it's definitely a good thing for um, all other leagues to see that we can actually get this done and have our entertainment without um, interfering with the whole no mask or just continuing somewhat normal life. You know, we got to have sports back and it was controlled and it went well. And Taylor, you're going to add something to us on that as well. Tell us yeah. more about the NFL and then possibly canceling their season. Yeah, so in comparison to the NBA where they were in a bubble, um, no COVID cases, um, the NFL continued to travel. Um, had a Depending on the team, had a small number of um, – had a, had a small number of – my mom said, <laughs> had a small audience. Um, Tell Dr. Mom we said hello. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, they actually tested 450,000 people between August 1st and August 17th. Um, 47 players and then 71 personnel staff members all tested positive for COVID. Wow. So, what does that mean? We have a long way to go with this COVID. I think we're, what the numbers looking like right now across the country? Anybody? This is not an SAT question. The numbers are going up. The numbers are going up. 
as far as I remember, we have 200,000 deaths and about 6 million to 7 million cases, if I'm correct. That's true. And while other countries are going into return to lockdown, ours is trying to reopen for business as usual. Here's a quick question. How have you been able to manage the students during this whole thing? It's been different. How's it been? Rushed, literally rushed. And um, it's just, it's just, I don't know. I think, I think with COVID being present and being a student, it really, it really focuses and tests your, uh, your time manageability skills because, you know, everyone, and I was telling this to a friend, uh, I want to say the other day, and, you know, everyone's plate is different, you know, everyone's plate looks different. Some people have more, some people have less. So with this COVID being present and school being really condensed into five weeks and just trying to cram everything in and get everything done, you know, you really have to be able to manage your time because that's something that we really don't have right now as far as um, from school aspect. So it's just, it's just, for me, it just feels really rushed and you have to, you have no time to really procrastinate. So if you're a person that, that has problems with procrastination, you know, you have to really get on it because now, like I said, we don't, time is not on our side as far as with trying to go through this school process that's been condensed due to the pandemic. I appreciate that honest answer, Chuck. And on that note, we are going to go ahead and start to ease our way out. We want to thank you for joining us. And a quick plug for everybody. Those of you watching, thank you for watching. We actually had an audience now of 13, which tied our biggest. We want to get to now 26. But that's another story for another day. And we think you might join us next time. We're going to take a week off because we're going to go into a two-part episode in one week. We're going to actually have a show that's going to talk about getting the politics, uh, actually talking about politics, and the 2020 campaign cycle. We're going to have a show on the day of the election. It's a special show. We'll be joined by special guest, Dr. Takia Anthony, a former NCCU faculty member. And we're also going to be going live to some of the polls to talk to some of you out there to see how you are participating in the voting process. And after that, we're going to have the ultimate show or the comeback from the cliffhanger because we're going to all leave on a cliffhanger on that Tuesday. When we come back, we'll either have a new president or we'll have the same one. So until then, do yourself a favor, practice three W's, wait, wash, and wear your mask, and be safe out there. For all of you all, thank you for joining us. This concludes another day at the Intellectual Soul Food Lunch Buffet. Peace. <laughs>